Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Transformation Gold Podcast. This is your hostess and your coach. My name is Nicole DeVincentis. Awesome, as always, to have you here. Tonight, we're going to talk about fear. Now, I've been doing a lot of cataloging and reviewing of some of the previous podcasts that I've done. And when you know me, when you get to know me, when you coach with me, even if you are a personal friend, uh, of mine, the one thing that you're going to run super, super quick is I'm very intentional about the action that I take. And I started this podcast a while ago when I was in a, a major transition point. I pro- actually, you know what? I take that back. It was after a transition point. It was after I had pulled the trigger on making a decision to completely abort the mission of what was a 20-year career as a nurse. And... What started out as a career change then stepped into looking at all areas of my life and and like owning the fact that it was like a big freaking pile of shit. And I wanna make something very clear before I press on with this is that this is has a very strong likelihood of being a very raw podcast and under no pretense do I you know, the recommendations or or my path that I've traveled, I don't embrace like reckless and wanton behavior. You know, I am of the type where when you make a decision, you literally like pull the trigger, you're in action and you handle every single consequence that comes about. Um, I'm also very much a proponent of, you know, positioning yourself to win and looking at the lay of the land. Like there's a time when you will see me hesitate um, only because there's like an unanswered question. But when it when it comes to how I move, and this is not a popular way of living, and it certainly <laughs> has not always garnished, you know, tons and tons of relationships. But I will tell you that it has. garnish the right relationships is that when you are of that mentality like decision execution it puts you in a position of power that usually creates fear in other people the question is how do you move yourself to become that person and I don't have the answer on that other than you do it (laughs) like that's it like that's the long and the podcast like take the action and deal with the freaking consequences they come out so here's what happened so let's backtrack and then we're going to get into this topic of the what is essentially like the internalization of fear and how that um you know, transcends throughout all areas of your life and it it keeps you obviously from moving forward. But I started out this, this, gosh, there's a lot of thought like this. I was driving and I just had this idea for a podcast. So I pulled into the gym parking lot here and I'm just like, we got to get this stuff out in a logical way that makes sense. But I am a very intentional individual. And after I made a decision okay no let's totally back up like rewind okay picture this picture you're in my shoes how I must have been what 42 ish somewhere like early 40s I'm 46 right now and I had reached a point 
professionally and personally where I wasn't where I wanted to be financially through for a variety of different reasons. Lack of proper information, poor habits, and I would call a poverty mindset. All right, so those three things. So those three things had to get corrected. So as I was making decisions about leaving what was actually a 20-year career as a registered nurse, um, you know, I had gotten myself to a point where I had recruiters calling me almost every single day, job offers, like I could have a job within like, you know, a half an hour if I ever needed to have one. So I was never short of opportunities and I own the fact like I worked my way into that role and while I know that like there's a very hot job market for nurses, you know, winding this back into between 2008 and 2014, it wasn't necessarily that way. So I was being recruited to have different leadership positions like across the country for different medical centers which were opening and to come in and provide some sort of stabilization or balance to a nursing department or to an organization um, that was just like, you know, out of control. And that was, as I went along in my nursing career, I was being highly sought out after for my leadership skills you know, my ability to form teams and ability to produce results in a very, very high pressure uh, environment, such as like an emergency room. Okay, like patient flow, you know, people not dying. <laughs> okay, like stuff like that. Okay, crowd control, customer service, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So when I when I was walking into nursing school, I should tell you, I never I knew I wasn't going to be there long term. I knew that nursing was never going to be a long term strategy for me. I own the fact I had no idea what the f I was going to be doing afterwards, and. The thing that caught me off guard was while I knew that I loved studying like anatomy, physiology, pathophysiology, I love studying everything about the human body. I believe it's like this awesome freaking miraculous machine. I didn't anticipate liking working as a nurse as much as I did. And it wasn't because I had like, you know, this lovey-dovey time with my patients. What I really loved as a nurse was really like transactional nursing. Um, when I was working up in the main parts of the hospital where you had your patients for days, like if you were working consecutive days and they were there and you got to know them and their family, it was actually quite a deterrent for me. Like it was nice experience when I was a brand new nurse, but I didn't want to entangle myself emotionally because I worked in a hospital, like people died all the time. They were like super, super sick. But what I really loved with the transactional aspect of nursing, and that was, that's really what emergency nursing is. And that's what flight nursing also is. And I, I did both of those things. So it was, you know, patient turnover. It was, you know, solving problems that were very, very large because they involved life or death. It involved solving problems if you worked in the capacity of like a charge nurse. Like it, I just, I liked that aspect of it. And I knew that about myself. However, I did enjoy working with my peers. I did enjoy to a weird extent, like the regulars that we would have come into the emergency room and just kind of getting to know, <laughs> you know them a little bit. But um, when I reached the double digit part of my career, 
like when somebody I remember it was a patient's family member asked me how long I had been a nurse for and I believe the answer was 11 years at that time it it was like an anvil that fell on my head that I was surprised like wait a second I'm this is 11 years like I, I'm here too long already and I don't know what I'm gonna do yet and like after this how am I gonna make money and like that was always the question like how am I gonna make more money and I worked overtime I took up different contract jobs and was working like you know 14 days in a row flip-flopping days and nights back and forth on a rotating schedule sometimes within the same 24-hour 36-hour period and I did so willingly because number one, I was trying to become a flight nurse. Number two, the overbranching goal in my role as a nurse was like not just to be a flight nurse. It was actually to become the best practitioner regardless of licensure. And so you got to like, you know, study, you got to get experience, you got to do all that stuff. And so I was willing to put in, you know, excessive hours, do whatever it takes, you know, to be in specific places where I could meet, you know, the right people, where I'd be able to learn, like, advanced, like, high-level shit and, you know, actually become the best. And so that, that was going to take a, a period of time. But still, I knew that, like, the clock, the time clock was ticking. It was just, you know, what am I going to do? <laughs> I had no freaking clue. And as I was approaching, you know, what I viewed as my own like internal like timeline, like girls time for you to exit stage left, because here's what happened. I worked all those extra hours and while I made money upfront, what happened was I got crucified in taxes. And so I knew uh, like super early on, like this was not, this was not a wealth creation strategy. This was not what I envisioned, you know, my life to be like. And I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I did not want to be that nurse who, when you look at her, she looks like she, this is starting to sound so crass, like she had just been <laughs> like road hard and put away wet. I did not want to be her. And I saw that in a lot of my peers and a lot of nurses and medical people that I had met throughout, you know, my time working as a nurse. I was like, I, just, I don't know what it is that I want to do, but I don't want to be that. But there was like this emotional, I, I guess, tie, I, for, I don't know what else to call it, that I, it was hard to leave. And when you're making executive decisions, which is, which is what those things are, like you're not just kind of sort of shifting from working in cardiology to the emergency room or to neurosurgery or to outpatient clinic you're severing that thing and it's like it has been a part of you for so long and for me it had largely groomed me into the individual that I am today it was my foundational like you know training ground and I remember the very first thing that I did in moving out of the industry was I left the organization that I had quote-unquote grown up in okay, which is Loyola Medical Center. And it was just like through a comedy of errors, it was after business really started to take, you know, a major bite into healthcare operations. And, you know, things were just never quite the same. And I had been working as a flight nurse and then we got, um, we sold our hospital contract to a corporation. And then when they came in and took over the contract, then there was a reduction in staff and then, 
what happened was we had to re-interview for our jobs and it was causing a lot of chaos at the base and my staff was crying all the time and I viewed that as an occupational hazard so when it came time for me to re-interview for my job what actually happened was I sat down and they asked me what I thought about the changes going on and I asked them a question them being um, the woman who I guess was like the vice president or she was somebody pretty high up. I still don't even know her position. I didn't care. But it really, you know, for me, safety was always the primary concern operating in that role. And I've always been a proponent of safety when you're working in that capacity. And I told her, I said, you know, everybody's crying around here. This is an occupational hazard. I don't think it's a very good thing because there's no communication coming down the line. And it, it's causing a lot of anxiety around the base. Well, it shouldn't be a surprise. I wasn't asked to be a full-time flight crew. So what happened was I, I had a job made for me, if you would, back in the hospital. And they said, well, where would you like to go? And I said, I would like to go to the cardiovascular ICU because I had never been there before. You know, I would like the experience of recovering open heart surgery patients and, you know, getting to know some of their like technology because I had never really done intensive like hemodynamic monitoring and things to that level. So, you know, they made this job for me. I went up there and worked and met some wonderful people, learned a lot, but more importantly, like learned this is not where I need to be. (laughs) It was like everywhere I went, it was just like, nope, not here. Nope, not here. Nope, not here. And this is actually following my having gone back to grad school to, to, to like, you know, squeeze out, like, is there anything left in this industry? Like, this is a scary jump for me. Like, where should I go? Like, I have a lot of years. I have a huge network. Like, if I leave, like, what am I going to do? And like, no matter where I went, I went to undergrad thinking that I should re-up my initial plan of, of becoming a doctor and like all over the place. I interviewed at different places and no matter where I went, I mean, when you're done, like you're done and not because you're burned out per se, but because you've like maxed out your plan (laughs) and then you have to make a decision. Am I just going to stay here and do this work and collect a paycheck? And for me, it was like, I don't know, the fire, it just wasn't the same. And it was, and in the ER, it's like the same shit, like all the time. And you work hard, but it wasn't challenging anymore. And maybe that was part of it, but it, it wasn't like, I don't know. It was just like nobody took care of themselves. It was like a depressing environment. I wanted to be around life, you know, not always death all the time. Like, so there was like, I'm, I'm telling you, there's like a lot of thoughts that were in my head, like pros and cons, should I, shouldn't I, you know, meanwhile, I was like a terror to be around. I had this whole year where all I did was complain and you know, my family was just like, for God's sakes, why don't you just quit and like, you know, do be like a nutrition coach or something like that. And people were throwing out ideas at me all the time, but I also knew my numbers and I knew myself and I knew like, I didn't want to, and this is no offense to anybody, I didn't just want to be a nutrition coach. I mean, I knew what it was going to take to build up a clientele, to build up my numbers in order to be able to support myself in the lifestyle that I had, you know, built as a nurse. So 
I mean, major fear factor. I mean, I had 800 credit score. I mean, everything, like I had everything to a T. It was honestly just like, I always felt like my potential was capped in terms of what I could do, obviously what I could say, you know? And it was at a time when healthcare was really starting to contract because it was there was so much business involvement in it. And it was the very beginning, um, like the early glimmers of socialism in healthcare in the United States. But also it was during a time of massive business influence, both by pharmaceutical companies, by insurance companies. I'm sure there were political ties. I, in, in the state of Illinois, like that's pretty much a given. And then also the the change of healthcare into what is a formal business. And so we started to see a lot of changes in terms of staffing, in terms of what you could actually do for your patients, in regards to cost and ability to pay, things that we had never paid attention to at the institution where I was working before. And so I wasn't I wasn't happy there and that was not why I went into nursing like I loved being a nurse when I was a nurse because it was a time of such freedom where okay if this was the problem we have this situ this solution over here it may be the most expensive but we never even thought about that we learned it was expensive but it wasn't like we ever held back because of somebody's ability to pay or lack of ability to show proof of the ability to pay like we just implemented the thing and I'm so glad that I was in healthcare at that time. And for me, ultimately, when I was up in that ICU, it was restrictive for me. And it's supposed to be, it's a highly controlled environment. But having come from the emergency room and then having come from flight, where I actually brought them their patients before they had surgery, so they're like way sicker. You have so much more freedom and so much more liberty that for me to be in that space, although it was you know an opportunity, I was very grateful to have that opportunity. I felt like my wings were completely clipped because like it's a micromanagement environment. And you know, it was just, I knew it wasn't gonna work. It was a short term, you know, place for me to be, to have some cash flow while I was, you know, figuring out what else I wanted to do. And so during that time, I had also uh, begun working as an instructor and viewed it as an opportunity to build and enhance some public speaking skills. And that was how I viewed it. Um, I also really took a lot of ownership for the individuals whom I served, um, whether it was, um, you know, the group of people that I interfaced with on a monthly basis, or even when I was invited to different places as a speaker, as an educator, like, I'm very in tune with the people that I serve. And even though, you know, for me, it was a skill building thing, like, I know who I serve, like I know that I serve God, I know I serve the people who are seated directly in front of me and the capacity of an educator, I serve the people that they serve, I just merely operate through them. And so I've always viewed everything that I, I do as like transactions of service, if you would, to create a greater good. I know that sounds like mealy and crunchy and all that stuff, but in my heart of hearts, like that's the position that I take. Not everybody appreciates 
you know, the, the clarity with which I speak, not everybody uh, appreciates understatement of the century, the change that I often introduce to any environment on how to improve it, whether it's operational, whether it's you know strategic planning, whether it's training. Um, you know, for me, I always like to, to build things bigger and better and make things run way more efficient so that we can become like the best and like the big guys. And the places where I've been don't see it that way or they've never been exposed to an individual who thinks that way who is performance driven or goals oriented or even metrics driven for that point and there it, it there was a lot of relational um probably clash that occurred during those times as well so picture this so I'm in the ICU I'm working as this educator and I knew that I just could not um work in this ICU <laughs> any longer um I actually quit that job, and I'm now trying to remember the time frame. I think maybe the flight company, I, did I go back there? Yes, because one of the flight nurses went on maternity leave. So I went back to the flight company, was working over there, and literally quit the, the organization where I was working at hospital. And I'll tell you, like, there's signs everywhere. As I was driving away, so I was driving westbound down, um, it's called Cermak, but it turns into, like, Butterfield Road, and then like it continues on forever and in Illinois the hospital was behind me and so westbound in front of me it was like this huge like the sun was setting it was you know the latter part of the evening like totally bright I had to have my my glass my sunglasses on my sun visor down and when I looked in the rearview mirror like I shit you not there was clouds like a black sky and clouds over the hospital where I just quit and I was like okay god like that's clearly a sign that it is time for me to like move on and I left you know with a good amount of peace in my heart and never looked back um until a few years later when after I made like a total cut like money got super super tight and I entertained the idea of going back to work in the ER um, for a short period of time but it was very it was like a, a 36 hour little stint there it didn't last long and so what <laughs> the point of it is this like you've got to commit and then shut the damn door behind you on whatever decision it is that you're making even though you may not always have you know firm footing or firm visualization of the step that's in front of you it's it's taking that position that <laughs> okay i'm not staying here i'm moving forward and owning that and then whatever consequences come about from your choice like you own it and you you handle them now I don't know how to teach you how to do that other than like push you in the pool and get you to do it I'm pretty certain um, had things then you know fast forward a few months after that um, there were some challenges within the flight company again and I ended up leaving later that year um, like it was for me, like there's signs. Like it was my third, I call it my third tour with the flight company. And it seemed like no matter how many times I came back there, as much as I loved being a flight nurse, there was always problems. Like it was just like, it wasn't ever easy. It was always hard. And whether it was a manager who was trying to get up in my shit or, you know, it was me not seeing eye to eye with management or like I own the fact that I, I, 
when I know something is right or not right, you have a hard time steering me away from that. I'm very, very, very decisive, and I'm not afraid to challenge people on anything, which makes it very hard, I'm sure, to deal with me as an employee. And so looking back retrospectively, like I know that I was, the irony of everything is that I was largely groomed into the woman I've become, into the leader I've become from my environments, but it was almost like I exceeded the capacity of those environments and if you're either the smartest person in the room or if you are the strongest person in the room, your job then is to go up another level and find people who are smarter than you, who have more knowledge than you, or are doing bigger, better things, have stronger leadership skills than you. Like, I believe that growth is an expectation. And, you know, just when you feel like you've arrived, you're at your most vulnerable point. Like if you ever look at people who have lost big, it's usually following a major win because like the common person will say like, yeah, you know, I hit it here, I hit this victory. But that's when you're at your most vulnerable because the person who is gunning for your spot is training and working to beat your ass. And so <laughs> it's your ego that can actually get you in the way or get in the way rather when you feel like you've actually arrived. So, you know, there's like growth is like this tiered stepping. It's kind of like a staircase, if you would. And every, you know, step that you go up, you still have responsibility, you know, to be a role model or to be an example or a mentor, a teacher or whomever to the people who you know, you're responsible for the people who are looking up to you, but then you still are eternally a learning student and you're still like going up higher, higher, higher up the staircase. And this applies to any area of your life, whether this is financial, this is professional, this is personal, relational, spiritual, like there's always room for growth and improvement everywhere that you go. So after I quit that hospital and then I was no longer working at the flight company, I was working um, in this educational role and had narrowed my focus. I had stopped working contract and agency. I was just like disheartened with the safety profile um, working in those places. It was, I felt at that time it was not worth the liability against my license or against my conscience, God forbid something should ever happen, you know, badly to one of my patients because staffing was poor, you know, they didn't, the, the hospital that I was working with didn't want to help the agency. Like there was a, a lot of bullshit, you know, that happens when you're operating um, as somebody who comes in temporarily into an agency like that in healthcare. It's kind of catty, but um, I decided at that point in time, all right, I'm going to, I was being paid, you know, fairly well, all of my bills were covered, and then some, and getting benefits, and meeting a lot of different people, and I knew when I took the job at that place that it was largely political, um, I had a tremendous opportunity to really see massive business growth, um, unfortunately, I, I, feel like I was not on the well-receiving end of it. Like, you know, we suffered a lot, but <laughs> working in that organization, I stayed there as long as I did still because I didn't know what I wanted to do afterwards. Like the still, like the same problem was like looming. 
but I viewed my time there in addition to who I was serving I also viewed it as a training ground that I was I knew I wasn't going to see anywhere else and I watched this one hospital completely transform transform itself from being a single community hospital kind of like podunk in the middle of nowhere into what they were viewing themselves as a major medical center in a particular geographic area. And I don't know that they'd actually reached that summit, but what I was able to actually see is just immense, like mergers and acquisitions happen in a very short period of time and a lot of horizontal growth. Um, They gobbled up, uh, like, uh, they freaking cornered the market on freaking primary care centers and, you know, took in probably, like, fragmented small business owners, like, physicians who were in business for themselves, who, you know, once Obamacare was going into place, like, there was all these different stipulations that there was no way that the little guy was going to be able to have enough I don't know, capital, cash flow, or something in his business to appease all the standards which were in Obamacare. So really the only solution then was to sell the business and, you know, come into these larger hospital systems. And so I watched that happen and, I mean, it was ugly. It it just, it was ugly, you know... I don't know about other industries, but this one, you know, it's just like you chew up this huge giant piece, there's no infrastructure to it. So you have to then wait it out for then the systems and the processes and everything to get settled into place. But it always seemed like I was in these places during the times of the most turmoil. And it didn't rest well with the standard that I had for my nursing care. And, um, some of the teams, you know, you don't have team selection. It wasn't like I was a boss or did any kind of hiring or anything like that. Um, it, it just, it, it wasn't going to work. I'll, that's what I'll say. And so I eventually just completely quit. All right. Things got kind of bad in the educational role. I still didn't know where I wanted to go. I knew I didn't want to go back to clinical nursing. Um, the only option was to move forward. I didn't want to like, you know, increase a position or responsibility within their organization. So I was looking to do a lateral job transfer. So I transferred like financially. And so I did less than a lateral job transfer and assisted that group in opening up one of the, the primary care clinics. And it was just like a freaking train wreck. Like I love the people that I worked with, but it was, it was just like freaking bullshit and it was just like I could feel it like it was just like it was not for me it just it simply was not for me but I did it short period of time and set a timeline for myself for 12 months that I would actually be in a position produce my way out of that job and not have to look back Unfortunately, what happened was I decided to go on vacation and um when I was, I was in Mexico, I was running my, I thought, you know, I'd run some sprints on the beach and get myself back in the, into good physical shape. And I was jogging through this resort that I was staying at. And I like to run sprints on hills. And I promise we're going to get into fear. But I, I just want to show you something here, okay? Like the path of progression, what has led me up to like this particular juncture in life that 
I was running and I saw this micro hill. And when I say micro, it wasn't even really like a hill. It was probably like a mound of grass that had this huge like agave plant on the top. And I thought, you know what, if I can just do a few like high knee, like hustles up this little mound, then I can start working my hip flexors and my abs and, you know, get my glutes fired and like do all this stuff. Sure as shit, there's a freaking hole inside of like this patch of grass like you could like the grass was growing over it and what happened was I ended up turning my foot like upside down in the hole like the outside of my ankle was touching the bottom of the hole and the bottom of my shoe was facing upwards so I'm in this hole I'm standing there and I'm thinking to myself holy shit I bet you I have an open fracture open meaning like the bone is sticking out of your skin and so I'm in this hole, I mean, this only took like moments, but I'm doing like this quick, like, you know, neurological assessment. Can I still feel my toes? I think that I can, but I gotta get my leg out of this hole. So I pull it out. I was so afraid to look down and I was like, hold on, do I have, do I feel like I have blood dripping down my foot? And I did it. It didn't feel warm and wet or anything like that. So I looked down there, the leg was still intact. There was no bony prominences sticking out. There's no evidence of blood. Okay, can you move your toes? So I'm doing like this whole like neurological, you know, traumatic assessment on my leg because I'm in freaking Mexico. And I'm thinking to myself like, shit, if I have an open fracture and now my bone and my skin is touching Mexican soil, now I'm thinking about how many hours I have. This is seriously like how my mind thinks. How many hours do I have to get myself back into the United States so that I don't get a massive body infection and die from like total body sepsis? And I'm thinking, how am I gonna do this? Am I gonna fly commercial? And then am I gonna call like the flight company to meet me at the airport? How am I gonna get this done? Like, <laughs> and luckily that didn't happen. So I looked down, you know, the ankle was intact and I could still move my toes. So I was like, oh, well, you know what? Maybe what really happened here is I just have what's called a diffuse axonal injury, meaning just I like kind of like stun the neurons and they're going to be okay. But I knew that really wasn't the case, but as all like strong-willed athletes will do, like we'll test the waters a little bit. So what I decided to do was walk on it. <laughs> Can you like walk it off? It seemed like it was okay. Like it was a little bit numb, but it didn't hurt. And being that I could still move my toes and still feel my toes, I was like, you know what we should do? Let's just jog on this a little bit. I mean, let's just test it. I mean, is it broken? I don't think it's broken because I can move it. So let's do this. So I started to run on this thing and I ran probably another quarter or a half a mile. And I was like, you know what? This thing actually feels pretty good. It feels stable. I'm picking up speed. Seems to be like no major problem whatsoever. So the next logical thing for me to do would be to do some walking lunges. I don't know why I did this. The first lunge that I took, I almost wiped out. Like my whole leg was went numb. I don't even really remember. I just found myself like I was on the ground. And at that point, I was like, you know what, I'm done. Now, unfortunately, I think that was like day, was it day two or day three of my vacation? And I had the whole entire vacation to go. I, I think I was there for a week. And this was like, oh, this was like a fit kind of a place like the resort was not packed as all-inclusive resort it wasn't packed in one hotel it was villas like spread out like little villas like you know a quarter of a mile half a mile away from like the main hotel where all the food and stuff is and that's where my villa was so then I was like 
all right, I'm going to need ice. I'm going to need to like wrap this thing, elevate it, whatever. But there's, you know, I have a few snacks in my room. So it's like you move from a state of fear, like, holy shit, like what is going to happen with this leg? And it, it's okay to now, how am I going to manage this? Because I still have an entire week and I'll be damned if I'm going to go home. Like it, that's not an option here. Like I, I don't, I'm, we're staying. This is what we're doing. Okay. So you're moving then from, oh my God, like my foot is literally like the ankles, like the size of like, it's huge. It's like, I couldn't even wrap both of my like hands around it. It had swelled up so bad. I couldn't put anything on top of it. Like a sheet hurt it. Like, but what I'm telling you is this, like you have a choice. You can either sit there and cry in your cornflakes or you can freaking like post up and decide, you know what? I'm not going home. I'm staying here. I'm doing what I know needs to be done. I'm handling the consequences of, you know, what may not have been the wisest decision to lunge on top of a foot that was completely turned upside down in the bottom of a hole, you know, in Mexican soil. I mean, I admit that. But that's what I decided to do. And so I, you know, took took my 911 care of it and then was pretty much like laid up in vacation. Now, I may have been a little bit upset. Um, at the time, I thought to myself, you know what I should do is I should video some beachfront yoga and then sell it like as, you know, yoga courses. Unfortunately, couldn't really do yoga really well because I couldn't stand on that foot and I couldn't flex the foot and I couldn't really even walk on it. Um, the first couple, like the first day I was taking a golf cart, they would come and get me at my villa back to the thing, but it took them, like this is like Mexican time down there, like I'd be waiting an hour for them to come and get me and I decided like I wasn't going to do that. So what I did was I devised a way to walk that I was on my toes of the injured foot and realized that it looked too funny so I actually wore a pair of high heel wedge sandals because it allowed me to be up on my toes without looking like I was really on my toes and then walking. Now this thing was freaking black and blue and what happened though was everybody at the resort as I learned from um, my waiter who always took care of me every breakfast that everybody thought that I was a bodybuilder and I was practicing walking on my toes to build up my calf muscles (laughs) but nobody ever looked down to see my ankle which was like the same size as it was bigger than my calf it was like as big as my freaking knee and that once I showed him what the hell happened they were like oh my god like nobody paid attention to that shit like so what I'm saying is like you can't give a shit you know, about what other people think about you. I knew that people were talking about me. I went on this vacation by myself. When I passed by, everybody's conversations would always stop. I knew they were talking about me. I didn't know why. I didn't care why. I was just trying to literally like walk, you know, to and from the bathroom, all this bullshit. And it comes about that people, you know, they're going to talk about you no matter what it is that you're doing. Even when you have a massive problem, like they overlook the obvious and come up with their own solutions as to why you're acting the way that you are, why you're doing what you are. Because here's what happens. They're confused. Okay. And they, they can become very fearful in the presence of somebody who 
owns their shit and somebody who is very powerful even if you have a gentle and kind heart okay I've always been told by a lot of my coaches like Nick you are a powerful woman and I never wanted to step up in that role because in my mind being powerful meant that you were like a dictator like being powerful was a bad thing and that the power I would always think of like um what the hell is his name? The, uh, not Napoleon. Hitler is like powerful. I mean, to do what he did, freaking influential, powerful. Like that's what my mind equated to. I never realized like you could use power for good because I'd only seen power used for bad. What I'm saying is that people can shrink back in your shadow or whatever, just even based on how you carry yourself. And as you're progressing, I know that it can be hard because you'll even see it happen with your peer groups, your family oftentimes. Once you start to like learn people and understand people, you're gonna be able to interpret body language like super fast. And it doesn't matter what comes out of people's mouths. Like when you see there will be a discordance between a spoken word and even just their body language, you're gonna know when somebody is feeling uncomfortable in your presence. And depending on what it is that you're attempting to do, you cannot allow that to disrupt you. You cannot allow it to to deviate you from your path. Um, All I can tell you is that the right people will align with you and leave it at that. Okay, so back to the story. What happened then, because I was, you know, more or less forced to sit on my ass throughout this vacation, was I sat there and had the thought, okay, now you're here, and how in the F are you going to get out of that shitty-ass job that you said that you were going to leave, and initially I told you I had a 12-month timeline, but within like the first hour of working there, I shortened it to nine months. So like the timeline thing was moving pretty fast. I still had no idea how I was going to get out of that job. And I thought, okay, I need to know my numbers. So what I actually did was I designed or devised or created whatever a budget for myself. Like I listed all the expenses on a quarterly basis for my household and decided, okay, you know, And again, I live in a place where there's four different seasons. So there was change, you know, in the electricity bill versus the heat bill. And I I devised all sorts of different ways to cut back on my expenses to hasten the speed at which I could depart the job. Like that was the initial motivation. What actually ended up happening was that I left the job after the nine month marker because I had chickened out. I still, I had nothing to jump to. I had no other job lined up. I didn't want to work in healthcare. It was a time of just like, kind of like major chaos in my life. Like I just was so not feeling like this is this. I no, I'm not doing this shit anymore. I don't know what it is that I want to do. I've got a mortgage. I've got a freaking car payment. I think I still had it. I don't think I paid my car off yet. You know, I live like 20 minutes away from civilization out in the middle of like nowhere. You know, it takes me time, all this gas, like there's all these objections that I had all over the place. And ultimately what happened was I ended up quitting that job 
largely for a safety reason. I, like, I had had it. Like, we had a situation happen at work. Um, I was going to be the only staff person there. It was not a safe environment. And that totally violated my entire, like, code of conduct and professional modes of operation as a nurse and it's completely unacceptable for me and I know without a shadow of a doubt that it is because of my ability to operate high performance in healthcare that you know your bosses and the people upline like they know their people and they know my ability they know my history they know how much shit I can handle and it has nothing to do with whether or not I'd be able to achieve the tasks it's when something bad happens I have no backup and for me that's that's not what a responsible healthcare practitioner does you like you you need a team you have to position yourself to win this is this is not that and so I actually quit and I had no other job lined up. What I did have was six months of income saved that I had done after I made that budget like a few you know, months before. And when I got home that day, and I, it was just like, it was very emotional because I knew like this was it. I did not want this, I did not want my nursing career to go out on a note like this, but I owned it. And as fearful as I was to actually quit that job, I had a talking to with myself and was just like, you know what girl, if you don't leave now, this is going to become a pattern for you. You might as well just freaking bend over and take it up the ass for the rest of your fucking life. That's honestly like what I said to myself. Like when I coach myself, I don't coach myself like, you know what, Nick, you're such a good person. You know, this, yeah, you can absolutely do. I am not that way. I am, listen, bitch, (laughs) you better get your shit together. (laughs) Like that's. Like, I have no problem having hard conversations with myself, and I know how to move myself. And so, you know, I quit. But when I got home, like, the panic started to set in, and I was like, holy shit, you know? I was thinking, like, what if I do need a job? And now, when they're going to be calling for a reference, you know, I can't put this place on there, and what am I going to do now? Like, the seeds of doubt started sprouting really fast, and... I called my mom, and my mom tends to be more spontaneous about a lot of things than most people in my life, and she also is one, like, you make a decision, you go, and you deal with the consequences as they come about, and she was like, you know what, Nick, she's just like, just fuck it, (laughs) I've quit jobs before, I said, but I've never, like, quit and not had, you know, I've not given notice, she's like, don't worry about it, just go. And she knew, like, your mom knows you, and my mom knew there was something else that I wanted to do. She knew I was just largely unhappy and just, like, beyond, you know, as much as I loved being a nurse at one time, as much as I loved the human body, she knew that I was, like, anything but happy at this particular role, and, you know, she's just, like, released the birdie from the nest. She's going to figure it out. And, um that's what I did. And I can't, I I, I don't regret it. Now, what was happening at the same time was the fact that I I, I introed this podcast saying that I'm in my 40s. Uh, Right now I'm 46. 
So when all this was taking place, I, I was in my early 40s and I was looking at just like the state of my life, financially, relationally. I didn't, I had never been married. I had been, I took myself off the dating market because I was just like fed up with, I'll, I'll use the word like freaking fuck boys, like just men with no vision, men who don't work, men with no driver hustle, men who had, I think like mommy issues and wanted me to like kiss their ass and just like, I just freaking had it and every relationship was getting worse and worse and worse so I took myself off the dating market and thought to myself you know what I still would really like to have a family I should adopt or you know foster something like that but as a single woman still I knew I was going to require assistance to do this first of all how I was going to pay for this because daycare is expensive and so in order to pay for daycare you have to work more but then I need more daycare so I have to work more to pay for the daycare to work more to pay for the daycare and it seemed like such a stupid cycle that I was like I, I can't I, I can't financially justify this like this this is the same reason like I never put um cable TV on my house. I built a new home and I could, I could not financially justify the installation fee because we were a brand new development in the middle of Podunk like farm town and they wanted some astronomical amount of money to be the first to install some sort of like cable TV line onto the house and I refused to do it. I was just like fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, that was the way I made like all decisions. So I, I used an antenna until the very last moment that analog phased out. And after that, simply watched TV, even only periodically. I never really was a big TV watcher for many, many years. Um, and just like DVDs occasionally. I just like, forget it. Didn't, you know, after a while, got rid of internet on the house because just it, I couldn't justify the return. Like I wasn't using it enough to even incur that expense. So <laughs> very, very, very much with my eye on the money, even though I didn't have the right financial education. Well, in addition to like the financial component of adopting a baby or even fostering a baby, I knew I was going to need help. And, like people. And I was looking around and I was like, well, I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm at least 40 minutes away from my family, but my family is completely tied up and they're not, they're strapped, like they're taxed out. They're not going to be able to help me. So it's going to be me. Like this is a no win situation here. And then even if they could help, then I was looking at the individuals in my family and I was like, okay, well, if we have family parties and I'm pulling kids from like foster, I mean, you want to talk about somebody like I went and looked at like all aspects of my life. Again, it started out professionally, but it, I did like this whole major life overhaul because I was just like, oh my God, if I pull kids from the foster care system, my job is to course correct them. And they're coming from horrid environments. And while love can get you far, my family's got some seriously bad shit in it. And I don't even, I can't trust that they're going to even behave themselves sometimes. The stuff that comes out of their mouth, like we've got like addictions in the family. We've got all, I, I can't, no, this isn't going to work. So not knowing what else to do, I was just like, shit. 
All right. So when I quit the job, I have a template that I designed, created when I very first started working as a life coach. And it has really been for me like a guiding light in clarifying my goals and maintaining a very strong strong as an undercurrent is under like I would like laser like focus on what area of my life I'm actually working on and when I first quit my job I first went into so it's like six areas of your life four of which are relationships so it's like relationship with yourself relationship with others relationship with God relationship with money your health and fitness and then your purpose and when I first left my job, quit that job, my health was in complete disarray. I mean, the, the effects that disempowerment and when you're living against your core value system and you're not able, I, I, I know myself, not able to step into my full potential, I, uh, like it shuts you down. It just shuts you down. Like it's like a spiritual death that occurs. And it was coming out in a physical form. Like I thought I had fibromyalgia. And I mean, this coming, like I'm a high performance athlete and, you know, nationally ranked figure competitor. I mean, it's just like ridiculous. And all of a sudden I'm over here. I can barely move. My skin hurts. I'm gaining weight, even though I'm not eating anymore. It's like, it's a freaking shit show. So I decided, you know what? I'm attacking my health because wherever I go, I, I can't be, I can't produce any results here being in the in the physical state that I was so I used that time you know living off of my cash reserves there to actually resurrect my health if you would and I slept and I rested and on began like this majorly creative period for me where I just started writing um, things that would turn into blog posts things that would turn into educational tools things that would, you know, become part of a book, um, just random ideas, just like creative, like illustrations. I didn't even know where the hell this shit was coming from. It was just like writing, 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 writing. But what I was fearful of is that I wasn't taking any action. I was just kind of like in this la-la land, if you would. But here's the thing. You can be high performance what I've learned about myself in a lot of different ways but when there's a lot of stuff inside of you that stuff has to come out and had I not embraced that and again that was a, like another encouragement of my mom was to just kind of like go with the flow and just like write and get it out I would not have clarity on where I wanted to go next does that make sense and what I was doing then at the same time while fixing my health and while creatively writing and just letting myself pretty much disassociate from being a nurse I still needed to make money and you know I started one business uh, it was a allergen free baking line and I you know faced a fear then and the fear was for me to actually do this, there was this opportunity to actually work in a co-op bakery and be able to sell my product. I had spent, I think, like the better part of five years in product development and um, to be able to, to sell it and then, you know, hopefully get it onto a national market and, you know, inject it into distribution hubs and, and all these different things. Um, 
I had to make a decision. Was I going to take advantage of this opportunity and use that money that I had saved and put it into you know, the startup of this business or was I just going to ride this money out for the next six months and probably end up in the same place? Like, what the hell am I going to do next? And I decided to go for it and it was a good learning experience. Um, I learned that I didn't want to pursue that business. I learned a lot about contracts. I learned a lot about honoring your gut when you know that you should not be in business with individuals. I learned a lot about how to ask questions that you don't even know that you don't know. Like it was, I got my ass kicked, like hands down, like seriously, I um, literally went negative on my bank account. I wasn't able to pay my mortgage, so my home was going into foreclosure. I mean, it was just, it was like one thing after another, and I didn't have any food. And so I started cleaning houses. I was taking people's parents to their doctor's appointments and sitting in there as like, you know, the expert, you know, listener or whatever, and then relaying the the information when we got back, you know, home to the kids or whatnot anything that I could do just to scrape a couple of bucks together and then was like teaching some CPR classes and stuff. Um, and oddly enough, I was being asked to be a speaker that I actually did um, largely for free on a national level, um, was able to generate some leads that way, but it was, it was clear to me that even working in that capacity with that particular population that I was dealing with, We did not see eye to eye. Um, I was speaking on some health initiatives and um, the population that I was speaking to was just completely change averse. And so there was no way in any of these little business ventures that I was going to achieve the level of profitability that I was looking to have. Um, I couldn't even achieve like basic household expense levels and I had cut everything out. Like even my food was down to the dollar like on the budget line. So it was just like, what the hell am I going to do? The point of the matter is this, is that when you commit to your path, and that's the key word, it's, you know, commit, you always want to be moving directly into action and and operating with a state of urgency despite your fear. Because even if you have like the most well-devised plan, like shit can still go wrong. Especially if you don't have a team yet, especially if you don't have complete clarity of the goal and you're operating in your survival mode. But what I'm here to tell you is that even despite the fear, it's important for you to know that wherever you are is actually temporary and that you still have to step powerfully forward through that shit and get to the next destination. Take the next step up that proverbial step case or staircase rather, because you're, you don't know what is going to be waiting for you and you don't know what opportunity will be there or who the mentor will be, who the connection will be for you to meet, to grow with, or who's going to be dropping you pearls of wisdom to then grow you to the next place. All right, I'm going to close out this portion of the podcast. Um, We'll do a follow-up segment for this one. So again, this has been Nicole DeVincentis, a long time probably coming to this particular juncture, this particular podcast. We're talking about fear. 
okay, like the psychology of fear and allowing you to see, I think, transparently, you know, how I've moved through my personal fear coming from a place of, you know, comfort and security working as a nurse into something completely different hopefully better (laughs) all right so close out of here we'll catch you on the next segment thank you everybody for joining us we'll see you on the inside and we're back welcome everybody back to the transformation gold podcast this is your hostess and your coach nicole devincentis this is part two of the psychology of fear and when we last left our story i had shared with you a bit of my personal history and a bit of what brought me to this particular point in life and in no way am i even remotely saying that i have arrived i'm merely sharing with you from a coach's perspective that everybody has times in their life where you're making big time decisions and there still is fear in those decisions either because you're uncertain about the path you're uncertain that you're making the right choice you're worried about whatever consequences there's going to be you're worried that you're going to be disappointing people you're worried that you're going to be letting people down You're worried that maybe the other people are going to see you struggle if you're starting over as I did, you know, and you're going to be looking stupid for a long period of time. And I'm here to tell you like two simple sentences. Number one, you can't give a shit. And number two, focus on your own shit. (laughs) I swear to you, if you live by those two principles and... And please know, like, I have a tremendous belief in God, and I'm not always sure if the things that I say, I take that back. God gave me gifts, and I know that I can communicate with people and reach people. (laughs) It's just, it's not always... You know, maybe like the flowery language that would be expected of a woman. That's all I can say. But I know that when I speak with people, um, I get you to take action. And that's really what, what the focus of this podcast is. And so, you know, without, you know, painting rainbows and, and primrose paths, like that's, those are the two sentences, literally, like. You just can't give a shit and focus on your own shit. I promise you, if you're looking to drive, you know, the needle forward in any area of your life, whether this is business, this is, you know, personal goals that you have for yourself, you're changing trajectory of the family, whatever it is, you, that's the mentality that you have to have from the get go. Okay. Now, when you talk to people who are becoming my business mentors, like they just take it to a completely different level. Like, (laughs) <laughs> like, you just got to rip their head off and like shit down their neck. And I'm like, I, I haven't reached that level yet. <laughs> it's a little bit more violent, you know, than um, maybe what I want to do. But that's why I'm seeking them out as my business mentors, because I still am kind of like of the mindset of a nurse, like first do no harm. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
being totally honest with you, okay? But really, when we last left the podcast, I was sharing with you, like, the choices that I made bringing me up to a point where I had left a 20-year career as a clinical registered nurse, right? I worked in ER, was coordinator for a a neurosurgery program that was responsible for what we now know today is like stroke centers um, and how we run strokes when they first present to a hospital so that we can reduce mortality and, and morbidity with that. As a flight nurse, I, mean, I really had a great time as an educator. You know, I had competed in a division of bodybuilding as a figure competitor and just really, you know, in that realm of my life had serial successes and I can't say that it was overly hard I've always you know been very goal-oriented individual once I love something it's hard for me to not do it like that's how I felt about learning things while working as a nurse and the same thing with bodybuilding like the goal was never just to kind of sort of do it The, the goal was to be the best and I don't know how men feel about that. A woman's perspective on this sort of mentality is that it really has been hard to maintain relationships. Um, I just, I don't see things the same as a lot of other people. Um, I prefer not to talk about people at all and so on a relational level just like little updates I like to hear what people are doing but I don't like to surround myself like the conversations go real fast to like the gutter like what people are doing updates into you know how bad people are because I don't like that kind of energy I believe that gossip is a cancer I don't want to be around it and I started pulling myself back from people who gossiped all the time I think it's terrible it does nothing but erode trust and I know that if people will gossip with you they will gossip about you and so when I made those choices to quit my job and then eventually what was actually do like a whole entire life overhaul I ended the last podcast telling you that the very first segment of my life that I was you know restructuring was my health and fitness I wanted I looked then okay like all like these other pieces of of this pie I, I mentioned there's a pie template that I devised when I was first starting to work as a life coach in that I thought, okay, well, we need to fix finance. I'm a single woman. I am like the skew on the bell curve. Nobody in my family has ever been in my shoes before. I come from Italian family, like all women get married. By the latest 26, you have babies, multiple. By that point in time, for sure, I had not done either. Um, And so nobody really knew what to do with me. Like there was rumors that I was lesbian um it it basically sucked like it it was just like it sucked and I decided that there had to be a different way like there was a lot of things that I was questioning in terms of family traditions 
in terms of family behaviors, kind of like a double-edged sword in terms of what was permissible between men and women and the bad behaviors and like the secrets and I just, I don't know. And I didn't know, like I wanted to learn before I went forward to move my financial situation I still had a lot of unanswered questions about money. One of which was, what does God say about money? It was really a large looming question for me, not because I needed approval from God, like that wasn't the approach. It was, I had always been taught that money was the root of all evil. But nobody in my family really had a lot of money and it was like, miserable and so it seemed like the people who had money just had more of a carefree life and why should they have the money they weren't even that really great of people I I don't know it was just so then I went and I call it I went to the school of God and actually I can't remember how this even came about but I knew that for some reason, like I needed to find truth in the Bible as it pertained to money. And so I started seeking out different teachings, if you would, and was really committed to finding a church that spoke on biblical principle and not just on like, I come from a Catholic background, not just on like playing on the pings of Catholic guilt. And so I ended up exposing myself to different faiths and to different you know, forms of, of preaching, you know, the Christian word to really learn about what God had to say about money. And, you know, what does God say about single women and single parenthood? And it was just like, I can't explain anything to you other than the fact that for me personally, I needed to have clarity of truths in that because I was positioning myself as the head of a household okay for like adopting or fostering children and at the same time I have nieces and nephews and I didn't want them passing through like these weird you know growth periods I wanted them to have proper information as well even if I'm not their parent like I wanted to somehow you know get a different message out to them and make sure that they weren't making the same mistakes and, and, and victims of the same generational curses that it seemed like my family had been, you know, absorbed in and involved in for years and years and years. Like, this is like a, such a big project. It really was. And so I started learning different things and learned a lot about, you know, my viewpoints on money and the teaching that I received was not correct. And once I had the right teaching, then I could go forward with learning things about business operations um, as it pertains to like monetization, profitability, um, wealth accumulation. Then all of a sudden, once I had learned that, then like the wealth masters, if you would, or the business coaches, they, they were there. They were like on the next step, if you would. For me, myself, I had to get those key answers or the key questions answered in order to be able to progress with, um, I guess, like clear conscience. 
you know, not everybody has to necessarily go the path that I did. I knew what I needed to be able to do what I wanted to do, which was course correct my family and march forward for my own personal household. And hopefully (laughs) one day, you know, have a relationship with somebody else who had that same education, who had the same value system so that we could, you know, have a family together and build a life together. So there was like all these different goals. And I know at the time, like I didn't tell anybody what the F I was doing. I just did it. And that's another aspect of it is that when you're making these strong decisions and people started thinking like, is she off of her freaking rocker? Like what the hell? And I think the biggest, you know, part of it was there was so much going on inside of my head. I didn't even know where to begin to communicate what I was doing. So all I did was just like go to work. Okay. On the area of the pie of the life that I was operating in first health and fitness, you know, then it was like the school of God, or maybe it was, maybe it was reversed. Maybe I went to school of God. It doesn't matter, but I was always operating like in one particular area of what I call like this pie of life. And I'm telling you, I mentioned this the past segment and I put it on this one. That thing has seriously been a beacon for me to uphold like the clarity of the goals and the laser like focus on what it is that I'm achieving long term. Okay. But for the whole entire thing, it really had to do with moving my family at large, like the the changing the trajectory of my family and never having to use money as an excuse to not do something. And then once I got involved in that and then realized like when you have wealth, then you're also able to contribute at like a much higher level. You know, whether it's locally within your own community, whether you're angel investing, you're you're a micro lender, whatever it is, you're starting foundations, something to be able to contribute because you actually have more resource, you have more choice, you have more flexibility, you have more freedom. And so what for me started out as here I am working as a nurse and I'm serving the patient or the patients who are immediately in front of me and their family. It was kind of like then God pulls back a curtain And then, okay, now I'm functioning as an educator and I no longer have a patient in front of me. Now I have, I don't know if I would call them students. Sometimes they were students, but people I was responsible for their continuing education or new education. And I serve the people that they serve through them. It's like a two-step. Okay, so like it's multiplied. It's not just the people in front of me, it's whoever they then touch, which includes, you know, the people that they're responsible for professionally, but also their family. So like it's multiplied, which widens your, your horizons, if you would. And the same thing, then when I went up and was becoming a public speaker, you know, at a high level or invited into different organizations, like the amount of people that could potentially be reached 
because of a greater size audience and people of greater influence who had people that they were responsible for who also then served other people like you start looking at how how you're responsible and the impact that you can have I was like holy shit like this is awesome the same thing could happen if I had higher financial status that I could you know assist solving you know problems for you know small groups of people large groups of people whatever from having that and so for me it was like a giant learning curve that you know I've always been taught you lead with your heart and this was this was a it was a a different transition point for me that I was really afraid of not being a a soft woman or losing my femininity like that was really something that I had struggled with and wrestled with for a long period of time I know myself like I know that when I move into high performance it's hard for me to like come down from that and be kind of soft if you would um I don't think that I'm a very I'm not like totally mushy all the time I I I describe myself as having like a very clear energy field and you know operate in that medium I I don't I don't align with like the angry feminist that's not who I am Um, but I'm not like this over I don't know gooey woman either I just have a very clear energy field and I didn't want to lose my softness by allowing myself to step into something which was high performance in a business or a financial situation Um, because quite honestly I was thinking to myself like no no man wants me at this point like no man will ever want me if I step into that role and it was I will not lie like it was rough and all I can tell you is that whenever you're making decisions from a place of fear this has been my experience you never make the right decision especially when it comes to your relationships because what you're doing is you're morphing who you are you're just you're just like putting a mask on the real you is eventually going to come out I don't believe that relationships have like the comfortable phase where you just like let everything go to shit. Like I I don't believe in a comfortable phase that, but you want to be with somebody who gets you and you want to be with somebody with whom you gel. I, I do anyway. I, I want to be with my best friend. I, and I know like the, the man that's going to decide to be with me, he's got to have a strong gumption about himself because I'm a grower. Like I can't have a, a a man who I'm just gonna like step all over him. But by the same token, I can't have a man who thinks that he's going to have to exert a great deal of force to dominate me. So while I was like in the school of God, then I also had to learn about like biblical submission. Like it's been like a whole freaking thing. Like it, it was not 
simple. The, the changes that I made in my life over the past like 10 years, I'm just telling you straight up, they were not simple. None of them made sense. None of them were alignment with common culture, with pop culture, or any of the choices anybody that I knew had made. Nothing, not one. And I'll tell you, like, it's one thing to be on a podcast and, you know, be, you know, have a great dinner and have a great cup of coffee. And now I'm like awake and motivated and pumped up and like ready to give like a great, you know, talk. It's a completely different thing that when you are exhausted or it's a weekend and you are by yourself and everybody else is out doing their own thing, you either don't have money or you don't have friends or you don't have somebody to like share your life with, like it starts to fuck with your mind, excuse my language, and it can cause you to really want to abort mission. And I it, like... It does me. (laughs) I don't know. And I say like, I don't know that I'm necessarily committed to being an entrepreneur. I'm committing to having a financial goal. All right. I'm committing to like championing this area of my life. I don't always know exactly what that looks like, but I had to get my feet firmly onto this level before I could even be able to have like an intelligent conversation and start to see exactly where I wanted to hone in and, and, you know, dial my focus into, you know, life probably, I think for high performer, like it's, you can be a hundred percent work focused or focused on your goal. And then eventually you reach a point and probably happens for a lot more high performance than, than what even comes out. It's like, it seems to be like in your forties, like all of a sudden, like you pop your head up above water and you're just like, shit, like the only thing that's in my life is work. And I enjoy working, but again, like at the same time, you have a little bit of downtime and I'm just like, shit, everybody else is like out there having fun or they have, you know, their significant other, this, that, and the other, and I've got nothing. (laughs) And it, it can cause you to second guess yourself. And so for that, I talk about, there's a a podcast that I did a while back. It's called triage your position. And, um, it, I think I recorded it uh, probably like the last week of June. I can't remember what episode it is offhand, but it's such an important podcast because when you're reaching those moments of shit, should I give up? You know, where am I? I feel like I'm out of control. Like my mind is spinning. When you understand, you know, the importance of operating on a timeline and the ability to triage your position as it pertains to your goals, like am I closer to or farther away from my goals? You know, where was I six months ago? Where do I want to be six months from now? Do I have these triage tools for you to help you step out of your feels? Because I don't care if you're high performer or not, I, I you're a human being and there's always going to be some soft spot. There's always going to be something that's going to get you. And you can pretend that it doesn't bother you, but it eventually comes out and you want to have that clarity. And you need, you know, I think that a lot of high performers, you spend time by yourself until you have, you know, your team or your inner circle put together. It's rough 
that that beginning leg it's it's simply rough because not everybody understands you and not everybody is definitely not built the same way that you are and before you even you know lift off of the ground you spend a lot of time by yourself and you have got to have that strength of mind and like mental character to hone in on what it is that you're setting out to do and then have the grit and the tenacity and the perseverance to follow through through completion while you're dealing with consequences while you're dealing with you know whatever whatever fear factors come up all right so if you're ever looking at somebody who is accomplishing a lot of things and you think like oh they are fearless i will tell you firsthand i don't believe that that's true it's whether or not you're willing to act in spite of the fear And that's why I'm really a strong advocate about narrowing that gap of time between idea, inception, and action. The longer your lag time, the longer you spend, you know, trying to conduct, you know, whatever due diligence or you're you're listening to this podcast even. I mean, if this podcast is causing you to delay taking action, then you should stop listening to this thing immediately and go get into action. (laughs) That's what, you know, when you are starting to like consider other things, that's when you start to become fearful and fear, it never leads you to the promised land. Right? You want to be in a position where you're making decisions from a place of peace and power. I believe anyway. Not from chaos, anxiety, and fear. You know, when, when fear steps in, that's when you, you lose. It, it makes you weak. You know, it inhibits creativity. It makes you worry, worst case scenario. It causes you to lose peripheral vision. It causes you to not even be able to hear things properly, process information logically. It makes you suck in your speech, your communication skills. You know, not to mention just like the wealth of, of physical problems, the cardiovascular problems and all kinds of stuff that come about from fear. So it's not so much, you know, are people fearless? It's acting despite the fear it's courage you know courage to have hard conversations courage to make executive decisions courage to hold the line after you make those decisions courage then to front face whatever beast (laughs) you know you have to face whether there are consequences or you know that area that thing that you're just kind of like ignoring you have the courage to look stupid 
if you're starting something new, if you're starting over, especially following a series of wins, and now you're there kind of like Bambi on the ice, like flailing about, you feel stupid. Now you have people telling you that you're stupid, that you look stupid. (laughs) It's like the echo of it. And staying in the game, even despite that. fear of where's the the money going to be coming from or fear of well if this doesn't you know pan out as I thought it did am I going to have food is my family going to have food are we going to have a place to live (laughs) like there's, there's all these what ifs So I don't know how to tell you to necessarily become a master of your fear. I know that I have different triage tools to assist you in commanding your emotionality. It's kind of like a step-up tool for you. Because if you're, if you're subject to your emotions, you will lose every single time. And it's been my experience that when you react to a particular situation, that is rooted in fear. React versus respond. You know, react is just like somebody says something, somebody does something, and you like quick have to like fire back something, you know, verbal or even physical. Like, like you're like the grenade. that eventually becomes a habit but it's rooted in fear of looking stupid or maybe being taken advantage of or you know somebody doing something better than you it's it's rooted in fear so when you're learning I think how to step up and command that you know you can do it like the rip the band-aid off technique is just freaking go balls to the walls just like go out there and do whatever the freaking thing is even when you're scared. And then there's also the finer skills of commanding your emotionality. And I believe like you're able to train yourself on how to do that by placing yourself in the environment where the fear is very real. And you train yourself on how not to be victim to your emotions of the situation so that you maintain landscape view on the entire situation and and, and the fluid ability to focus in on like one minute detail and then step back and, and have landscape view again. You're able to hear like active listening is like on point. It includes body language. It includes, you know, taking in, like, the vibe of the room. You know, when you're not operating in fear, when you're operating in full command of your emotionality, critical thinking is intact. Creative thinking is also intact. Logical thinking is, like, you're thinking. I'm, like, I'm full cylinder. Like, you're in flow. It's not hard. It's simple. And your communication also very simple fine motor skills they're awesome 
okay? Because you've learned how to harness your emotions and you're moving it from fear into a place of peace and power. You can learn how to do that. The cool thing. (laughs) So you can learn it just through practice and through like assimilation, you know, in an environment, but also aligning yourself with people who already have that skill. And then you like become the student and you watch to see how does this person handle themselves under pressure? How does this person handle themselves under major conflict? How do they get the results that they want? Do they lose their cool? You know, how are they speaking? And the more you're around it, you pick that up. But when you also understand like some of like the how-to functions, like how that actually happens behind the scenes, I have like a whole coaching episode that I do on commanding your emotionality. You know, how can you actually set yourself up for success that way? You know, I, I take it probably to the next level. We bring in um, nutrition when we talk about that. <laughs> I've got like a triage, this is an emergency triage tool to help you discern on like what qualifies for your emotions and what doesn't because you need that stuff you know anytime you're making changes changes in your life changes in your business changes in your financial situation changes in your health and fitness you know there there's like offshoots of volatility that can happen People say things. It could even be like you get food cravings and stuff when you're cleaning up. Like there's volatility in that. <laughs> All of a sudden now you're you're acting up in ways that you never had before. You're kind of hangry, <laughs> right? You like you have to learn that just because you're making these changes in the choices and life is temporarily hard for you, it doesn't grant you permission to act like an asshole. Right? Like, you own the fact that you're making these choices. You know, it makes it hard on the relationship front. Hands down. I'll admit, like, that's an area, like, for me... And I, this is not meant to impress you at all, but I personally have spent so much time, like there's solitude and then there's isolation. I spent a lot of years in like actual isolation that even the thought of like just calling people, it doesn't even register on my radar of something to do. It was just like I started making decisions and choices of, of who I wanted to be around, who I felt was going to be, you know, the right people to surround my future children with. And there were hard lines in the sand that I had to draw. You know, there was a lot of underlying healing that then I discovered I needed to do in order to be able, it was like, Peeling back endless layers of the onion 
is what this whole entire project has honestly been like. It's been kind of exhausting. And there were plenty of times, personally and professionally, when I was just like, you know what? It is not worth it. Screw this. Or, God, now I'm going to go see this person, you know, at this event. I know they're going to be asking me questions. It would just be easier if I could just give them a simple answer like I did when I was working as a nurse. What are you up to? Oh, I'm working. I'm a nurse. Like, it's very simple. (laughs) Now, it's like the growth is happening so incredibly fast, I don't even want to have a conversation with people. Because where they saw me the last time, I'm miles ahead of where I was. And just like to try to even relate... (laughs) but again if you're fearful of that then you just operate from a place of avoidance and just like avoiding conversation avoiding a situation and nothing good comes of that we ask ourselves the question like well why why are you so fearful you know what do you have to lose like who are you trying to appease and when you really look at it you you start to like laugh at yourself and you're like oh well why am I doing that? (laughs) Is this person, you know, paying my bills? Is this person, is this conversation going to matter? Is what they think or say going to matter in five years from now? And when you start to like, really like look at it, you're like, it doesn't even matter. Okay. So you spend all this time kind of like in mental limbo land because that's what happens when you're in fear. Fear causes procrastination rather than action. So I have a question for you then. You know, what primarily drives you? Are you driven by what you want? Like, there's something out there. There's a goal. When you achieve that goal, it's something that you view as like, that's pleasure. Okay, you love the journey. You love the hunt. You love the goal attainment. And then you like setting more. Or are you operating, being driven by a fear-based vehicle? If I do this, then this person is going to think this. Therefore, I won't do it. So you're like, you're avoiding pain. Right? So there's always those two driving forces, the pursuance of pleasure or the avoidance of pain. Which one is driving you? Whoa. And when you start to see... Okay, and you start to like really objectify, like, am I operating from a place of peace and power or am I operating from a place of fear? Okay, peace and power is like the equivalent of love over there. Okay, and then there's fear. There is no fear in perfect love. 
okay, like you're free to fully self-express. I believe that's what true, like authentic self is. It's not just like doing anything or saying anything and, you know, hurting people's feelings just because you're, you're trying to be your full authentic self. Like, I, I think that's bullshit. But if you're creative, then you're creative. If you're musical, then you're musical. If you're math science geekdom, then you're math science geekdom. Like, you own your shit. Like, this is who I am. Right? You, you develop your gifts and, and you share your gifts and, and you, you know, see if you can't do something to make an impact in the world. But you also have to have full command of the other areas of your life as well. Right? You can't just go off willy-nilly and say, okay, I'm, I'm not going to tend to the financial aspect of my life. Somebody has to pay for something. <laughs> right? You can't like mooch off your parents for you know the rest of your life. Or if you don't pay, then you step up and you handle the consequences, right? So it's just like a constant evolution, but it's whether or not you're willing to face the giant, face the beast. So as we close out this segment here, some food for thought, the first one is what drives you? Are you driven by the pursuit of pleasure or the avoidance of pain? Tell you a lot about yourself. And number two is more of a statement, closing statement rather than a question. And that is, if there's a giant in front of you, there's a David inside of you. Thank you for joining us on this evening's podcast. This has been Nicole DeVincentis. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on tonight's call. You can find us up on the web at transformationgold.org. I'm available for public speaking, issues surrounding change agents. <laughs> I do all of my personal uh, coaching as well whether this is on the individual group or agency level, it'd be my absolute pleasure and honor to serve you. So again, contact me directly on the website, transformationgold.org. You can also visit my private Instagram page at figurechick911. Take care, everybody. Make it a great night. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.